Hello, welcome to the Pilgrims Podcast. My name is Jordan, and I'm joined by Stephen. Hello. And Harry. Hello. This is the, the Pilgrims Podcast, where three buck idiots read the Pilgrims Progress and and have a chat about it and see what this 400 plus year old book has to say in the 21st century so really glad that you're listening hopefully you're you've you've listened to the first episode which was a brief synopsis about the pilgrim's progress the book about john bunyan the person and where he was when he read it he was in prison and what we're going to do in this episode is to just take a brief little part off of the book from where we were last time uh, where he dreamed the dream uh, here he dreams he sees a man clothed with rags standing in a certain place and so we're going to take this part right down uh, to where where he says life life eternal life but what we're what we're talking about and i suppose what really jumps out by way of of a topic uh, is is the subject of of urgency uh, what would you say to that Yes, you're probably correct. That would be the major topic of jumps out at me. <laughs> Just uh, not the nitpick, and I'm quite happy to leave this in, but it's not over 400 years. It would be 341 years, so under 400 years would be more accurate. Mm, yeah. Come on, Jordan. Like, where are you at here? Look, well, I read, I read the advanced copy, okay? <laughs> Harry. Hi, Jordan. Have you got a wife? No. When you when you have a wife, call her your dear friend. This is what the, this is what the, the the man does here. Calls his wife and his children, the children of his bowels, and calls them. I'm your your dear friend, and I'm undone. The reason that he's undone, he says, and I'm certain informed that this our city will be burned with fire from heaven which will fearful overthrow both myself with thee, my wife and you, my sweet babes. What a way to talk. He's got a he's got a silver tongue. I'm not sure he does. If I called my children children of my bowels, I would be I think I would be being very rude about them. But then he goes on and he calls them my sweet babes. Uh, maybe. Maybe he's course maybe he's overcompensating now that he's realized I've just called them <laughs> little poos. <laughs> You know, whenever you talk to somebody, and as you're talking, you're thinking into your in, in your brain, you're thinking, "Oh, I shouldn't have said that. How am I going to make this right?" And all the while, words are coming out of your mouth, but you're not quite sure what they are. Well, that explains why he said, "My here. dear friend." Yeah. <laughs> the children of my bowels. Oops. I mean, I'm your I'm your dear friend. You're my sweet babes. <laughs> Listen, pals. This really is this the the source of the the urgency that we're talking about here. We have a, a this this burden that he has that the, the city's going to be burned with fire. This is the I think this is the first time that we're introduced to the subject of a of a burden in this book. Yeah. And if you're if you're to talk about the Pilgrim's Progress, I mean I don't know is the Pilgrim's Progress widely known in the non. Uh, Christian world in the in the secular vernacular is it? It's probably probably not. I I doubt it. 
Um, maybe it was back in the day, but maybe it was, May- and maybe it will be because I think there's going to be—is there a film or an animation or? I would guess maybe the idea of it is known, like the title, mm-hmm. and probably even in church circles, a lot of people, unless you've read it, you, you can probably just guess as much as like there's a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah, I I don't think um, it would be as known um, outside Christian circles, and as well, it it's a book now which unfortunately isn't as well known inside Christian circles either. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So if it's not well known inside Christian circles, then it's you know it's probably not going to be that well known outside, which is unfortunate because it's a book which really should be known. Uh, in Christian circles, but yeah, this is the the first uh, mention of a burden that we have. Certainly not the last mention of a burden that we have um, in this book. But he he pours this out to his sweet babes and to the children of his bowels. And well, how do they react? He he pours his heart out to them here, and what what? How do they how do they react? I don't think they get it. It's like, you know, whenever you see something like really amazing or you're like a movie or and you're trying to tell somebody like, you should really watch this or this is really important. And and then and the worst thing is like whenever you watch it with them, like this is the funniest TV show ever. And then you watch it with them and then they kind of look at you and think, no, it really wasn't. I think it's kind of like that. You know, you have got to see this movie it is mind-blowing and then they're just saying no i'm not really in the iron man mm-hmm. or you don't need people like that in your life or in jordan's <laughs> jordan's case oh no i'm not really into star wars I'm not really into harry potter yeah i'm not mainstream guys i'm cool <laughs> <laughs> it's poor form that's low hanging fruit there harry you're picking on there but anyway they they just hand over to bed basically i think isn't that right? Pretty much. Yeah, they think he's a wee bit uh, mentally deranged. So, and of course, the the, the they're like, what a weirdo. The way to fix somebody that's mentally deranged is just tell them to go to bed, mate. Go to bed. And so they get him up to bed, where he finds no sleep whatsoever. He spends his night. I I don't know. Are we reading from the same edition here? No, I think we've got three different editions here. I've got the original here. Do, do you have the original, Stephen? I have it. I have the original. I got it. The actual handwritten one. Oh, wow. <laughs> On the internet. Oh, right. Wow. That's cool. That's 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 over 400 years old, as we have already established. Over 400. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it's like 4,000 years old. <laughs> oh, dear. But he spends his night, it says, in, in size and tears. In sighs and tears, and then he gets up in the morning. They would know how he did. He told them worse and worse. He also set to talking to them again, but they began to be hardened. <laughs> oh dear, so I'm just left himself. They begin to drive away his distemper. This version says, by harsh and surly carriages to him. Where is that? That's in that same paragraph. He gets up in the morning. Oh yes, I found it. And so sometimes they they chide him and they deride him and they mock him and they make fun of him and and they neglect him. All right. My my version literally says, 
they began to make fun of him. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I've got obviously got the yeah, plain man English yeah. here. What does it say? Sorry, okay. Harry. What does it say next to that? Because this is the first, as we established in our first episode, which is if you haven't listened to it, what are you doing listening to this one? Go back and listen to our first episode. It's a book full of advice and counsel on how we're to live and how we're to behave. Uh, and it teaches us, as Stephen, I think it was you that said, it, it teaches us the Bible nearly without us even realising it. And here, I think, is is one of these parts where he is he's derided and chided. Chided? He's mocked. Chewed. <laughs> but he's made fun of and he's mocked by those who are the closest to him. The, the sweet babes of his bowels. And what does he do? He retires himself to his chamber to pray for them. What does it say? You have a different version, Harry, is that right? Yeah, I've got the... I think I've got the, the like, Warren Wiersbe version or something. Well, what does it say there? Thinking they could drive away his madness with harsh behaviour, they began to make fun of him, to scold him, and sometimes even to ignore him. Because of this, he began to retire to his room to pray for and pity them as well as grieve over his own misery. He would also walk alone in the fields, sometimes reading and sometimes praying. For several days he spent his time this way. I think there's a couple of days worth of material here. You know, he's, it's not just like he went to bed, got up in the morning and oh, things are no better. This is like ongoing. It's quite a progression. Yeah. And it's it's when he's in the middle of this praying and walking in the fields on his own, that he was, as he was wont, reading in his book, and greatly distressed in his mind, and as he read, he burst out as he'd done before, crying, what shall I do to be saved? Yeah. And then we're introduced in the next paragraph to another character, a man named Evangelist. How are we to take these characters? In what way? When they're introduced. Yeah, you're kind of giving away their character before you know anything else about the character, just from their name. Are we to assume that these are their names, or is it more like a title, or, you know, the missionary appeared, or the student appeared? Is it kind of like that? It would be extremely fortuitous if you had a baby and named him Evangelist and he turned out to be an evangelist. Yeah, it would also <laughs> to be... have a story full of people like that would be absolutely incredible. <laughs> a whole village. Yeah, and, the whole, and the whole... The name of the... Imagine as you're like, uh, we're going to build this new city. What should we call it? City of Destruction. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, think, I don't think the population's going to get too high there. Uh, I can just imagine it. You know, like Hollywood land signs on the hills. <laughs> City of Destruction. <laughs> so, I suppose it's all allegorical, really, isn't it? I just, like, the characters in this book are so, they're so on the nose that I find it a bit off-putting to meet someone called Evangelist. There is no subtlety. It, they, to me, it reads very one-dimensional, I think. And maybe that's intentional. Hmm. Do you think you could do a better job then, Stephen? Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah in a heartbeat. <laughs> no. What do you want a bit of? Are you wanting a bit of backstory <laughs> to Evangelist here? Yeah. Maybe that'll be like 
well, now we've got, you know, all these big cinematic universes coming out, you know, Evangelist will get his own, <laughs> his own movie and how he became, yeah, and how he became the Evangelist. Is it a time-saving device that rather than having to introduce everybody and explain and add that bit of detail in about, you know, this is a man appeared and actually he was already a Christian and he was the kind of Christian who's really, you know, effective at communicating the gospel to strangers and they'd done it before in this place and have met this guy and converted him. But rather than having all of that, they just cut in. This is, I think I would even prefer it if it was the definite article beforehand, if it was the evangelist. A man named the evangelist. Yeah, I don't see how that's any better than Stu. Uh, okay, I concede that. I think it's, there's probably a bit of what you're saying. There is, it's just to make it sort of, obvious who these guys are yeah I think I like Evangelist in this yeah well he is one of the good guys so he really cuts yeah. to the quick in, in what way he doesn't beat around the bush <laughs> he does not at all he looks he sees a man crying and says why are you crying <laughs> yeah <laughs> which I'm not sure if they teach you that in evangelism school or not but uh, just to, straight to the point, why are you crying? I mean, if, if it was written in this day and age, a man called Evangelist come to him and perceiving that he was crying, uh, ignored him and awkwardly walked across the other side of the road, hoping that he didn't notice that he ignored him. Yeah, I'd actually say that's pretty accurate. Whereas here, he just goes straight over to him. He sees there's a man in need, and he sees what he can do. That's the most basic of questions. What are you, why are you crying? It's not even a, are you all right? It's a, <laughs> it reads to me like, what on earth are you crying about? Wherefore dost thou cry? Rather than some sort of pastoral, is everything okay with you? Why are you, what's, what's upset you? Harry, what sort of question does he ask in your more modern rendition of this classic? Why are you crying? So, <laughs> exactly the same. No, that's quite, still quite to the point. But then again, we're, uh, well, when I say we, I really mean I. We're a lot more sort of, you want to break the ice. Mm. You know, so evangelist, <laughs> if I was evangelist, it would be a nice day out. <laughs> How's your week been? You don't look the best. Is something the matter? Can I help you? Why are you crying? <laughs> if if youth worker had walked on stage, he would have done a game first yeah. of all. <laughs> game, and then he would have told this. Um, he would have told this story about I don't know uh, apple tree or something, and then <laughs> said that's a bit like <laughs> something. <laughs> Does this encapsulate, well not encapsulate, but by way of a topic we have had, we've been talking a little bit about urgency. And so Evangelist comes to him and doesn't sort of sugarcoat it and and try and break the ice or whatever the case may be. But he just comes straight to the point and he asks him, like, why are you crying? Is that symptomatic of the urgency that's 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 here at the minute yeah well there was urgency in the house with his family and they just didn't get it i think yeah there's that's probably there's the 
this is not the time to dance around. Yeah. We asked him why he's crying and he gets he gets his answer. Yeah. He says, Sir, I perceive by the book of my hand that I'm condemned to die and after that that to come to judgment and I find that I'm not willing to do the first nor able to do the second. Here's what I understand Evangelist's response to that to be. He says, Why not willing to die since this life is attended with so many evils? Which I read as, Well, why not just die? Life's pretty rubbish anyway. Yeah, I think that is. That's how I'd say it reads as well. Again, quite blunt. It's quite the, uh, quite the model of evangelism. Yeah. And do you think uh, contemporary evangelism has has lost this bluntness, or is it something which wouldn't fit right in today's society? But then also, does that actually matter? Certainly. Yeah, I think um, evangelism twenty nineteen has certainly lost that 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 asking people on the street, why don't you want to die? Why not just die? Again, Harry, what is your more modern? Does it say anything vastly different, or is it largely the same? No, it's it's effectively the same. Why are you not willing to die since this life is filled with so many evils? Yeah, okay. I think he's got he's got a good response to it. You know, he has a good reason not to die. He's figured that much out, you know. If I die, mm-hmm. I go to hell, and I I don't want to go to hell. I think that's Tophet. Tophet, which is a reference to Isaiah. It says, "For Tophet is a burning place, which has long been prepared. Indeed, for the king, it is made ready, and by its pyre made deep and wide with fire and wood in abundance. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of sulphur, kindles it. It's hell, judgment." This is what makes him cry. The very thought of this. He says, yeah, yeah, I probably should just die, but I don't want to go there. Yeah, you think this life's bad? You think this life's full of so many evils? What about this place that's to come? And this burden that's upon my back is going to take me down? Yeah, I think it's quite perceptive of him to figure that much out. I would have imagined that it would have been evangelist who would have told him about that. You know, the kind of, the Turner burn, the the end is nigh kind of proclamation of are you aware of where your destination is? But the man seems to have figured that out himself and maybe due to Evangelist's cunning questions has led to that conclusion but offers up, you know, no I'm not ready to go because I know where I'm going. Yeah, yeah. It's quite interesting. One of the footnotes in the book here um, it says possibly Evangelist like John Bunyan's almost depicting his own pastor who helped lead him to salvation. So I know, do you think this has anything to do with how Bunyan himself came to faith? Like, um, slightly? I think it, that couldn't help but be the case. I think if this guy's sitting in prison and he's looking at the four walls, he can't help, I can imagine, but, but draw upon his own personal life experiences, even down to the places that he imagines and... Yeah, I can imagine, I'm sure he has he has pictures of people in his mind and when he talks about or when he puts pen to paper uh, on a character called Evangelist, I'm sure that there's somebody in his mind that he that he thinks back to that he that he nearly bases this upon. Whether there was a time that he was mm-hmm. uh, crying himself or whether there was a time where his his family mocked and scorned him. Or was a time that led him out into a field, and he and he chanced upon a meeting with a an evangelist, 
or a person and and he's basing what we have here on his own life experience i think that's that's reasonable to suggest that that could be the case yeah i think i read somewhere even the likes of i think the sloth to spawn for example as we go on a little bit further when he wrote that he had he had a, a picture of of his own hometown and the particularly what's the word boggy yeah yeah he had a particular yeah there was like a there was like a bog or a particular sort of swampy area of the town that he imagined when he put this down so I, yeah i think that's probably the case but anyway he pours out his his heart to this evangelist that he meets in this field and the, of the burden that he has on his back and what it's going to do to him it's going to drag him lower than the grave and i think that takes us certainly into the next chapter into another little section Evangelist has just said to him, "Look, if this is your condition. Why standest thou still?" Because I don't know where to go. I don't know where to go. Yeah, and uh, he gets a was that a parchment roll upon which what is written, it? What does it say? "Flee from the wrath to come." So he says, "Fly." Imagine that. <laughs> Fly from the wrath to come. That would be pretty impressive. If we could do that. <laughs> and the man read it and looked at Evangelist. And said, whither must I fly? So here we go. John Bunyan has imagined this. This man is half man, half bird. He's Birdman. <laughs> Superman, he can fly. Fly from the wrath to come. An evangelist gives him some uh, advice. Gives him some counsel. Uh, what is that, Harry? Can you tell us? Uh, he tells him to go to the wee wicket gate, but um, Christian's like, so Evangelist points to it, and he's like, do you see the wee wicket gate over there? He doesn't say wee, that's just an ulsterism. But he, um, <laughs> an ulsterism. Yonder. Yeah. <laughs> um, the man's, or Christian's like, oh no, don't see it. And then Evangelist's like, do you see the light shining over there? And Christian's like, oh, I think I do. And then Evangelist tells him that. It's almost like an eye test. You can imagine Evangelist putting like glasses on him saying, do you see it better with this one? Or with this one? A? Or B? Sorry. Okay, all right, Stephen. And so this man receiving counsel from the Evangelist pointed out the, the light tells him to go. Does he not see it because it's narrow? Is that the reason why like, there's this whole thing of I can't really make it out? Is it the narrow gate, so therefore it would be difficult to see because it's slender? Yeah, it's probably something along that. Because um, I've, yeah, I've always kind of, every time I've read that, I've kind of like, why exactly is that? I thought it was just because it was a very wide field. Or very far away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't be quite the story if it was just 50 yards down. There's the gate there. Where you go. You wouldn't have them running. You would have him running and his wife and his children perceiving mm. and crying after him to return. And I suppose this is a gate that is far enough away that he can just about maybe barely make it out if he knows what he's looking at. And there is a swamp in between. There is a slough in between the gate and where he is presently. Yeah. So it has to be quite the distance. It has to be. I think you're right. We're told then that he begins to run, and he'd not run far from his own door, 
So does he live on the periphery of this very wide field? Maybe. This is a field then that he comes to um, in solitude. And he's reading and he's praying. It's just out the back of his house. Yeah, I think it sounds like from the beginning part with his family, it's almost like, you know, he goes up to his room when his family usher him to bed and he maybe like cracks the window open and slips out and you know he's he's right at the on the almost like the wall of the city and he just hops out and goes out for some solitude and peace and quiet yeah and as he does that then he starts to run and everyone sees him and, and his wife and his children realize it and they begin to cry after him now they're not chiding and deriding and mocking him anymore but they're crying after him to return they're calling for him to come back and he puts his fingers in his ears I don't know if that does anything to his balance but he <laughs> runs on and he cries life life eternal life and he doesn't even say in, in, in this uh, in this verse anyway, he doesn't even look behind him he runs out towards the middle of of the field just tunnel vision Sets his sight straight ahead and doesn't look back. Mm-hmm. That's a complete opposite of Lot's wife. <laughs> yeah. That's a, a footnote in mind. <laughs> Every verse, Lot's wife. Yeah. But that also reminds me um, of is it what Jesus says to his disciples at one stage about, you know, you have to give up everything. Yeah. And um, he's not say along the lines of, you know, even giving up family members and stuff as well. Yeah. It's a some stage. Consider the cost. Yeah. Well again that that speaks to us of that urgency that that's come right through these couple of paragraphs here. He's running and he's not letting his wife stand behind or stand in front of him. He's not letting his children get in his way. But such is the urgency with which he has to get this this business done and get this dealt with and this burden that's on his back that nothing's going to hold him back and nothing's going to stop him whether it's his own family and yeah Jesus spoke of that same that same urgency as well yeah the urgency that we've been talking about even with evangelist and his eagerness to get down to the the heart of the matter why is, is this guy crying do you think his family starts to maybe get it at this stage or or even maybe not get it but recognize the conviction causing them to chase after no i think we're just like where's she going just we don't want you to leave weird even though him. even though a page before that said they wanted like to get rid of him <laughs> but now they're like oh actually we don't want to get rid of you yeah okay and then we come on to our our, our closing paragraph neighbors also came out to watch him some mocked him, others threatened him, and some called for him to return. Among those who called to him were two men who resolved to fetch him back by force. The name of the one was obstinate, and the name of the other was pliable. I think that's probably a good place for us to to park at this moment. Yeah, he's hit the road. He's he's started. He's on his he's on his way. The game's afoot. The neighbours have come out to see this spectacle and Bunyan names two in particular and 
Well, we'll find out a little bit more about them, I guess, in our next episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, where we're at here, we've met Evangelist and this man, who we still don't know his name at this point. Am I right in saying? Yeah, the man. Yes. Oh, oops. I, I might have referred to him by his future name uh, earlier on in this episode. Um, so, Spoiler alert. just ignore that I said that. Yeah. Oops. But there are there are two neighbours in particular that seek to, to come and take this man back by force in the in the middle of this this journey or what's another name for a journey? Adventure. Adventure, no, no, another name for an adventure. A sojourning. Not a sojourn, no a A wander. It's on the tip of my tongue. But anyway, we'll 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 park that there. There's two neighbours and we'll find out a little bit more about them in our next episode. But I hope that you have enjoyed uh, pilgrimaging through this little section of Bunyan's classic. If you're interested in, in following along in our own personal pilgrimage, uh, you can do that at Pilgrim's Pod on Twitter. Uh, do we have an Instagram? It's at Pilgrim's Pod also. Yep. Smashing. Well, there we go. We've reached the end of this episode, and all that's left to say is that if we see you on our own little personal pilgrimage along this journey called life, I'll be the one with my fingers in my ears screaming life, life, eternal life. (laughs) 